0: This episode was sponsored by Girls Can Crate, a subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Real women make the best heroes, and every month, they deliver them to your front door. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Katie. Question. If you could know the future, would you want to? Ooh, I think about this a lot. Oh, yeah? Do tell. Do tell. I don't know. <laughs> wow, a lot of thinking got you really far on that one. Yes. It got me back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and landing on I don't know. Ah. Because it would be great to be able to, like, try to avoid some things. But if science fiction has taught us anything, it's that that will only make things worse. <laughs> right. But a lot of times we think about things in the past in terms of if I only knew then what right. I know now. Yeah. I think of a lot of times I would be less worried or, you know. or more worried if you wow. saw impending doom. And there was nothing oh. you could do to stop it. <laughs> yeah. But maybe if you could see the future, you wouldn't be anxious. Yeah. Maybe. If you could see far enough, everything would work out. Right. Yeah. And then I guess we have to go back to the question of what kind of future are you talking about? Are you doing your uh, ancient history? Do you want to see four four million years in the future? Or are we talking about... (laughs) <laughs> you know 5 years well, or kind of yeah the 4 million years in the future is the one that that makes me feel less anxious oh yeah I sure i mean yeah, yeah. everything I will mean, work out everything and everyone i fine. care about will be dead so <laughs> yeah it's going to be fine but like yeah. 20 years in the future i think would give me more anxiety than than be helpful <laughs> okay well what about this what if you could ask someone who could see the future, Ooh. what if you could ask them just one question? Ooh. Would you do that? Yes. But I would spend like 10 years figuring out my question. No. Yeah, I think <laughs> deciding the question would be anxiety-inducing. Yeah. Can I get a team of people and we all decide together, here's our 10 questions, you ask this one, you ask that one, and they <laughs> build on each other. If you have unlimited funds, to ask this question is going to require an immense amount of resources. Mm. And you'll have to undertake a long and arduous journey up into the mountains by horse or on foot. So we're talking like weeks, maybe even months. Ah. And you'd have to time it just right because you can only ask the question on the seventh day of each month. It seems like this is very specific and happened. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are right. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) These are the rules of visiting the Pythia, the woman who resided in Apollo's temple in ancient Greece. Oh, her prophecies, they determined the actions of rulers and generals, colonists, adventurers. In many ways, you could say she was the most powerful individual in the ancient world. Cool. And she was an elderly peasant woman, huh? <laughs> known only as the Pythia, the Oracle of Delphi. Wow. I'm Katie Nelson. And I'm Olivia Mickle, And this is What's-Her-Name. Fascinating women you've never heard of. So, I've just returned from teaching study abroad in Greece. Yeah, lucky. Yeah, it was really awesome. And today, I want to take you with me to Delphi. We're going to go into a marvelous shop full of the most beautiful bronze chess sets Ooh. to meet the artist, Dimitrios Jorgares. He is the most remarkable and wonderful person, and he's lived in Delphi for 40 years.
1: My name is Dimitrios Jorgares. I live here in Delphi 40 years. I'm born in art. it's a part of epirus so. Northwest from here, 300 kilometers across the Ionian Island. Yeah, before here, I was in Greek, American, Navy, Marine, Navy. So he have traveled all over the world for 10 years like the captain.
0: Okay, so we're sitting down with Demetrios inside his shop in the center of town. So you'll hear a bit of the bustle outside. Cool. And you can also sometimes hear his motion censored owl on the wall, <laughs> which whistles, it goes, <laughs> when someone comes in the door. <laughs> but as we found out, it also whistles every time a big bus drives by. <laughs> so, so when you hear the whistle, that's what's going on. <laughs> Fun. He, he met us with such a warm welcome. And I had some of my students with me. He even served us plates of preserved figs. He preserves (laughs) them with cloves and almonds every year from the wild fig tree out back. Ooh. So good. The reason I wanted to talk to Dimitri specifically is because he has spent decades listening at Delphi. He was drawn there by the spirit of the place, and Delphi is... Magical. Even today, approaching this small mountain town, you have a real sense that you're entering an otherworldly realm. So, what is this place and why is it so special? Yeah. Well, since the dawn of civilization and probably even before that, one particular site at the base of Mount Parnassus has been the seat of God, the divine. Story time. Yay! In the beginning. Zeus released two eagles, one to the east and one to the west, instructing them to find the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. After a long search, they both landed at Delphi, and Zeus dropped a rock to mark the spot. It's still there. You can go and see it. Whoa.
1: (laughs) The history and the mythology say Zeus, the father of gods from the Olympus mountain. Okay. The name in Delphi is the navel of the earth. It's mean omphalos, navel of the earth.
0: So Delphi is literally the center of the universe to ancient Greeks. Hmm. They all believed. Delphi was this special, liminal space where humans could access the divine. Wow. And at some point during the Greek Archaic Age, so say around 700 or 800 BCE, an elderly peasant woman, now known only as the Pythia, we don't know her real name, she entered the site and began to speak the voice of the divine. Hmm. She was channeling God
1: was the Pythia, the oracle, over 50 years old.
0: And in the beginning, it may have been Gaia that she was channeling, the earth goddess, mm. Gaia, or in Greek, Ea. Later on, the god changed to Apollo.
1: Apollo came here about uh, 7th century BC. Apollo was the god of sun, the god of music, and the god of harmony. Uh, the Greek word is harmony.
0: God took lots of forms over time, but the key aspect of God at this special site was that you could ask questions and God would answer through Pythia. Wow. She, she was this woman with a gift of sight. It couldn't be just anybody. It was this special woman who could channel the voice of God. She sat there in the temple on a special tripod, and nobody really knows why. But apparently, this tripod was a really important part of the whole process. Wow.
1: He stay on the tripod, Pithia, and uh, give to the customers what's your future about your candy, about your people. <laughs>
0: So nearly all ancient sources mentioned Delphi at some point. All ancient sources. So it was a really wow. huge deal to ancient people. And not just Greeks. Powerful people, kings and rulers and generals.
1: The people that come from all over the world.
0: They visited from the Middle East and from Africa and probably even from Asia. They all came here to ask their one question and seek their destiny. Wow. And to me, what's so remarkable about Pythia, the oracle, is that she was a nobody from nowhere. She's this elderly, Hmm. uneducated, peasant woman with no ties to elite families, no wealth, no power base. And ancient Greece, especially in the archaic age and the classical era, was a very class divided society. Hmm. Only the wealthy and the educated had power. Even in Athens' democratic system... Only wealthy white males could be citizens, Hmm. so he's a radical departure from their norms. Maybe that is what gave her such significance. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Delphi, the site, was also special in that it was set apart from all the Greek city-states. So like Athens, Sparta, Thebes, they were practically independent countries, constantly right. competing for status and control among each other. There's constant border disputes and wars and stuff like that. But Delphi was a small, isolated town that didn't come under the control of any particular city-state. Hmm. So in in that way, it's it was uniquely independent and far, far into the mountains. Hmm. So... Let's visit the site. Let's imagine that you are some significant figure in the ancient world. Of course. And you have a question. Right. You're the queen of, um, well, you know, ancient Greece. You'd never be a queen. Let's get real here. You're a king. All right. Actually, back then, you had to be a man to visit the oracle. Ah. (laughs) Ah! Which is irritating. Hashtag irony. Yep. And we'll just be annoyed by that and set it aside. Yeah. So you're a man. <laughs> the journey has taken you weeks or months, and all this money you've spent on the journey. And finally, you're at the foot of Mount Parnassus, and tucked away up in a crevice, you can see it. Delphi, the center of the universe. <laughs> Now, because Pythia was a nobody from nowhere, we don't know any details about her specifically. We don't even know her real name. So the closest we can get right now is to focus this episode on what it was like to visit her. Let's unpack the experience of going on a trek to hear the voice of God. Yay! Okay. On the seventh day of the month, and the seventh day only... You gather with all the other pilgrims for the moment of truth. You're going to enter the sanctuary, leave your offerings, and ask your question. Hmm. Your fate will be changed. What's your question? You got one? I'm going to go invade a country. Should I invade Thebes? (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Very good question. Okay, your first stop is on the right-hand side of the road. And it is an ancient spring. It's a natural spring coming out of the mountain, but it's been built out into a kind of like rectangular bath, maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 feet across. Hmm. And you will step down inside it and bathe in the sacred waters to purify yourself. Pythia herself has done this earlier this morning, out of the view of everyone, Mm. before she proceeded up to take her place in the temple. Okay, so now you're pure from the spring. Nowadays, you can't get inside it, because that part of the spring isn't full of water. But next to it is a newer spring that you can still drink the waters from. Mm. So, magic waters, you better believe I chugged that stuff. Yeah. You didn't bring me home any? Well, I only had a carry-on. So, you know what? Actually, I actually had a water bottle full of it (laughs) at security, and they took my water bottle away. Oh. So I told the security guy, this is magic water. You should take this home. (laughs) And that's how you got on a flight registry list. (laughs) This lady tried to poison me. <laughs> okay, so then you enter the sacred way. This is the path leading up to the temple. It kind of zigzags as it climbs up the mountainside, and all along it are very elegant buildings that are shaped like mini temples. Mm. Just like, you know, ten feet high maybe all along the path, and every one of them is absolutely jammed with treasures. Huh. Each one of these little mini temples, they call them treasuries now, Mm -hmm. they each belong to a different city-state. And so visitors from that city-state added their offerings to their city-state's temple so that it kind of adds to the greatness of their own hometown, right? Right. You're not just going to put your treasures anywhere. You're going to say this treasure is from Athens because Athens is the best. Right. So as you ascended the sacred way... I mean, your mind would boggle at the scale of the beauty and just the sheer display of wealth everywhere. Mm -hmm. We're talking like thousands of priceless works of art and glittering gold and silver everywhere statues by the thousands wow. and what's kind of amazing is that scholars have actually mapped out with surprising detail the specific items you would have seen wow. as you walked they're not there anymore nothing is there anymore right. but ruins of the treasuries but I, i'm amazed how much they know about like specific items in every single place wow so to give an example of what kinds of things to imagine king croesus of lydia He sent a solid gold lion that weighed 150 pounds, (laughs) and it sat on a pyramid of 117 bricks of white gold. (laughs) Manolis Andronicus, who's a professor of archaeology in Greece, he says the treasures you would have seen along the path, quote, were beyond anything the boldest imagination might conceive. (laughs) Pretty awesome. Yeah. And inside Athens' treasury, we actually have some of the oldest written music in human history. Hmm. Two hymns were written on the walls. Do you want to hear it? Yes. So what we have here along the sacred way is quite possibly the world's first museum. Hmm. You have all the finest and most amazing artifacts, even the most sacred music of the people, all laid out. Oh, yeah. Organized by city-states for visitors to marvel at. I mean, it's all for display. So yeah. It's a museum. The world's first. Wow. Okay, so we passed all the treasuries, and we're approaching the temple itself. And I'm sure you're crazy nervous at this point, right? Oh, yeah. There's this large altar in front of the temple. It's so large it has its own steps. You, like, climb up the steps to the altar. And this is where you're going to leave your sacrifice. A goat is pretty typical. Did you bring your goat? I did. Okay, good. Of right, course. Okay, pl- place it on the altar. This goat is going to tell us whether you're even allowed to ask your question. Oh. Okay, so, so I might the- donate all that stuff and not even get to ask my question? Indeed. You might have undertaken a two-month journey and donated all that stuff. But depending on the actions of this goat, you can ask your question or not. Okay, so your goat's still alive, right? Yes. Okay, good. (laughs) Okay, you place it on the altar. Priests are now going to come out with a bowl of cold water. And they sprinkle it on the goat from head to toe. Then we watch. If the goat shudders from head to toe... Then we're good to go. If not, we're turned away, and that's that. God doesn't want to answer a question today. Those priests are, like, just going to not have cold enough water when they don't want to deal with me. Aha. Uh-huh. Mm. You, you're, you're reading this like a modern, cynical, <laughs> scientifically-minded person, though. <laughs> Sorry. But yes, the priests could choose the temperature of the water in the eyes right. and then turn people away if they wanted to. Wow. But it's the gods. It's the gods. Right. Okay. The goat shivered. Yay! Yay! And now let's pause for a word from our sponsor. Girls Can Crate is an awesome subscription box that introduces girls age 5 to 10 to real fearless women who made the world better. Every crate features an inspiring woman, a 28-page activity book, Plus everything you would need to complete two or three hands-on team activities and more. And if you're on a budget, they have mini crates too. Real women make the best heroes, and every month, Girls Can Crate delivers them. For What's Her Name podcast listeners, we have a special discount code for you. You'll get 20% off your first month's crate, any subscription that you order. Can C-R-A-T-E dot com. And use the code HERNAME to get 20% off. we ascend the steps of the massive temple. I mean, it's massive. There are huge columns holding up this huge porch. And then you go through the inner door and it leads into this big rectangular space, classic Greek temple, like picture the Parthenon. All Greek temples are basically that same shape. Mm. So you're ushered in, you get to ask your question, but you don't um, you don't get to, like, walk up to Pythia and say, hey, Pythia, I'd like to ask my question. Yeah. She, you actually, you step into the temple, you ask your question, and then you have to wait in the corner. Ah. <laughs> the corner just to the right of the door. And you can go no further. So you just, wow. like, tuck yourself away in the corner. And Pythia, she's in the back of the temple, hidden behind some kind of partition. Huh. But you can hear her. And you can see vapors emanating from that part of the temple.
1: Mm. It was uh, like the like the spring, and from the air smells like mm.
0: yeah.
1: methane. Yeah. Methane.
0: Methane. Methane. Yeah. So priests walk back to attend her and listen to what she has to say. They write down her answer, and then they bring it to us, and we leave.
1: Wow. Now we know our
0: destiny. We have received the voice of God. Wow. And amazingly, the answer is written in hexameter verse. Did you know that God speaks in hexameter verse? No, but that seems right. Yeah. But the interesting thing is we could hear Pythia While we were in the temple, you know, Ah. we could tell she was not speaking in hexameter verse. (laughs) She wasn't even speaking in Greek. She was speaking unintelligible babble. I mean, it sounded like babble to us, but the voice of the divine would be unintelligible to mere humans. Right. Of course. So thank goodness we have the priests to translate for us. Oh, we're very lucky. Uh huh. <laughs> so, this is where it gets fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Because, on the one hand, Pythia is the most powerful person in the ancient world because the most powerful people in the world change their course of their actions based on what she says. Right. But. What we really have here is a very strong male filter. It's only male priests who attend the temple, and they are the ones who translate what she said and write it down in hexameter verse and then
1: give Mm. the answers
0: to the people. Wow. And how do these priests get chosen? Yes. They're highly educated, and they all come from wealthy, powerful families. Hmm. Yeah probably it wasn't always that way i bet back at the very beginning like pre archaic age greece i bet there was a pythia who just spoke the voice of god oh and sure i mean it just it had to have been more and more i am the great and powerful ozified Yes, in fact there is a story of how the priests came to the temple which Demetrios tells. It's hmm. actually it's kind of hard to understand his accent here, so we'll do a bit of my words and his words mixed together. Translating? Um, I know, maybe I'll add my <laughs> female filter. <laughs>
1: When the Apollo came here in Delphi, he needs the people to serve the temple. And then he's going down to the sea in Corinthian Gulf. He see the, the sea come to Corinthian Gulf.
0: Some sailors from Crete were sailing across the Mediterranean and Apollo took the form of a dolphin.
1: How they say metamorphonome. He makes uh,
0: metamorphosis.
1: a... metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. A dolphin.
0: And appeared to them in their boat.
1: And he's going up to the, the ship and all the the crew. They scared very much mm. what's happened. The dolphin the, of the boat. And he say I'm the Apollo, not worry.
0: And said Stop being sailors, come to Delphi, to this mountain town, and attend me at my temple. And they hmm. came and they've been there ever since. Wow. But yeah, so what we've got in the Archaic age in I mean ancient Greece was a very sexist place and we've got a male filter and they've taken control. They've organized the whole situation there. They have the woman who is the voice of God, but then they're like, "We better make sure there aren't any misunderstandings about right. what she said." And so they write down the answers in hexameter verse. Hmm. Huh. Incidentally, the experience we're having now is the experience that only rich and powerful people could have, right? Because you're the king of somewhere. Right. If you were just an average Joe and you wanted to ask the oracle at Delphi something, you weren't allowed to present yourself and ask a specific question and get a specific answer. Mm. But you can ask a yes or no question, mm. and the priests have a kind of bowl with two different colors of stones and you reach in and you pull out a stone and that's your answer. <laughs> you know, wow. dark. Dark means yes, light means no. <laughs> wow huh. Okay, so what were these vapors emanating from the back of the temple? Yeah. And why couldn't we see Pythia ourselves? What's really going on here? Yeah. These are questions historians have enjoyed for centuries. <laughs> there are lots of different and fascinating theories that have been produced about how the oracle produced her answers because there's so many different interesting pieces of the puzzle here, you know. Right. She's sitting on this tripod stool and for some reason that's really important. And we know there are vapors, we know you can't see here, and we know she is like babbling this this incomprehensible but constant stream of sounds. Yeah. Some people have produced very rational scientific answers, Hmm. and some people have produced very mystical, magical answers. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, it's important and it's fascinating to me because I love to see how we can unpick this experience based on what clues we have today. For example, geologists have recently confirmed that the temple actually sits atop the intersection of two fault lines. Mm. So... It is conceivable that a cleft in the earth actually emitted vapors from deep in the earth. Ah. And some people think maybe even these had hallucinogenic properties. Right. And if you sat right on top of them and breathed them for a while, you would start to have visions and start to speak in tongues. Yeah. You know, who knows? So maybe that's why you had to stand in the far corner. So you never got too close to the fumes, because you don't want to be breathing in those fumes. Only she can breathe in the fumes. Right. But on the other hand, I can also appreciate that we don't need to pick apart the mechanics of the situation to appreciate the real importance of the site, which is that every visitor really, really believed that they were speaking to God, and the answers they received changed the course of their lives. Yeah. Over time, Delphi became famous also for the inscriptions on the walls at the entrance to the temple. There were four very famous ones, and in ancient Greece, these were so well-known that they became common phrases, like everybody knew them. Mm. Inscription number one, a big letter E, epsilon, just <laughs> a giant letter E. All right. It's, it's very mysterious. <laughs> it, it had been there since the very beginning, like so far back that even the ancient Greeks had no idea what it meant, wow. only that it had always been there. Wow. Even ancient Greek and Roman scholars had ideas about what it was, but it remains an enigma. We'll probably never be able to say for sure what it means. Huh. So that's inscription number one. Inscription number two, nothing too much, as in uh, moderation in all things. huh. Ah. <laughs> and that was one of the most popular Greek values. That's hilarious in this context. Because of the treasure. Giant, yes, <laughs> giant piles of treasure. But moderation. Right. Just enough. Just just a hundred and fifty pound gold lion. Not yeah. anything. Not like two hundred <laughs> pound gold lion. Too much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, inscription number three. I like this one. Surety then ruin. Mm. As in, once you are sure then that's when everything falls apart wow yeah i like that one <laughs> yeah so question yourself constantly and yeah. that actually ties in with the last one the most famous of all know thyself oh gnōthi seutan in ancient greek It became so famous, you know, Socrates is famous for this being the thing that he emphasized in all of his teachings. I thought Socrates made it up. Ah, well, no, it's from Delphi. (laughs) But this idea to turn inward and dig deep, figure out why you believe what you do, how you became who you are, what drives you. This was one of the most important steps toward enlightenment in mm. the ancient Greek world. Because really, nobody lies to you better than you do. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and the reason, the root of all your suffering and all your misunderstanding in life, it's your own self. It's misunderstanding your motives and who you are, and why you are the way you are. Hmm. So Gnothi, seuton, know thyself. It's the first step to enlightenment. It's the first step toward the divine. Hmm. According to Demetrios, this is the spirit of Delphi itself. It's the foundation of harmony, harmonia. Hmm. So the last god who resided at the temple at Delphi was Apollo. He's the god of music and harmony. Is the spirit of Apollo still here in Delphi? It
1: is, it is. I feel this spirit every day, 40 years. It's a place, you know, mysterious. It's a a place, an imagined place, but You have, you must have to go here to expect it, Mm -hmm. you know, this energy, and to feel that. Mm -hmm.
0: Today, Demetrios spends his days casting beautiful works of art. Sand casting is the ancient Greek method of metalworking, where you create a mold with sand, Then you pour bronze into the sand to create the figure. And he does this ancient method and he makes bronze chess sets and statues of Athena, replicas of ancient Greek artifacts. His shop is a wonder and his work is beautiful and unique. Pythia, the woman who visited the site, At the beginning and Hmm. began speaking the word of God, she was the one who started it all. But, of course, the sanctuary at Delphi persisted through the centuries, and Pythia had to pass on her gifts to the next generation. So we don't know the selection process, but new Pythia replaced the old, Hmm. and then the name became a position, and Hmm. at its busiest times, there were maybe three or four Pythia at Delphi. Oh. The sanctuary was destroyed and rebuilt at least three times. Fire, earthquakes, wars, they all took their toll. But the people of the ancient world, and not just Greece, like all across the ancient world, they always came forward with money and resources to rebuild it again and again. Hmm. But it had to end sometime.
1: After many, many years, the Roman came here. Roman.
0: With the rise of Christianity, there Mm. was no one left who was interested in the old pagan gods, Mm. especially once Greece was part of the Roman Empire and Rome became an officially Christian empire. Mm. It's quite possible that Christians actively raided and destroyed the site as they did in many other places. And we do know that Constantine came and he grabbed a bunch of the most precious items and took them away to Constantinople.
1: I think in uh, 394 after Christ, the king of Byzantine, uh, Theodosius, closed the oracle.
0: But some of the most precious things do survive in the museum there. Some think it was an earthquake in the 300s.
1: It has a big earthquake in Corinthian Gulf, and this earthquake closed.
0: Closed the gap in the earth mm. that the vapors were emanating from. But one romantically minded emperor, Roman Emperor Julian, he decided to send the delegate to Delphi to see if he could still access divine guidance. Huh. And the Pythia there uttered her final oracle. Demetrios, of course, knows it by heart in <laughs> ancient Greek.
1: And the last remorse. I know in, <laughs> in Greek very well, but not in English.
0: Oh, please say it in Greek.
1: Yeah, really? And English, yeah. yes, please. And then do. in, <laughs> in <Yeah>. English. <laughs> This in English. Tell to the king.
0: Tell ye the king. The
1: carven horse is... The
0: carven hall is fallen,
1: fallen into in decay. Decay. Apollo hath no chapel left.
0: Apollo hath no chapel left.
1: No profession Bay.
0: No prophesying bay. No talking spring. The stream is dry. No talking spring. The stream is dry. And had no much to say. And had so much to say. The link was broken. God would speak no more through the temple at Delphi. Mm. But Demetrios still hears the spirit of Delphi through its artifacts. And through the earth there. Through the wind. The Delphi Archaeological Museum that houses what's left of the incredible artifacts from the sanctuary, he has been there a thousand times. Wow! <laughs> and he says, "I listen. I sit with, I sit with a statue. I sit with an artifact, and I listen for wow. twenty minutes, thirty minutes. <laughs> so cool."
1: Those years, uh, I have been in the museum over a thousand times. Believe it. Here? Museum Delphi. Really? Yeah.
0: Wow. Why?
1: And uh, you know, it's something uh, for myself, for my spirit, to be better and better every day. Now I can speak with the Sphinx of the museum. With the charity of the museum, we start the cross. Ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and we contact with those famous statue.
0: And you can hear the spirit of Delphi also through the music, through the harmony since we've discovered now the actual musical notation from the ancient world preserved in places like the Athenian treasury, we can hear the harmony of the past. Hmm. Would you like to hear an arrangement of the oldest known complete melody? Yes. (laughs) I thought you might. (laughs) And so I have come prepared. (laughs) It's an ancient Greek epitaph inscribed on a tomb a song that a man named Cyclos wrote for his departed wife. Oh, It's a haunting melody and a powerful voice from the distant past. And it has been arranged here beautifully by the musician Sam Henderson. Cool. He sings the lyrics in both ancient Greek and English. The English lyrics sound as modern as it gets. Like, I would believe that this was written today, Hmm. but it is the oldest known melody. Here's the English translation of the lyrics that you'll hear in the song. While you live, shine. Have no fear nor grief at all. Life's only here for a short while. Remember that time will take its toll. Tell us about harmony. How did you achieve it?
1: Harmony. <laughs> <laughs> it's so difficult. So mm. difficult. At first, uh, everyone them, you must know ourselves. Yes. It's very important. Gnothi Say Ton. Gnothy
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Sophia>. Perfect.
0: You
1: know the shift, and then you <coughs> start to feel peace and quiet day by day. After that, you hear the harmony.
0: <laughs> you hear it.
1: Yeah, if you have the harmony, you're happy. Mm. Very happy.
0: Mm. At Delphi, you can feel the passage of time and the profound echoes of the deep past. The ancient world is, it's both so, so far away, and so immediate at the same time. And maybe it's harmony, harmonia, hmm. that unites everything. Also. thanks to Dimitrios Yorgaris, whose shop is Poseidon Workshop in Delphi. Next time you're in Greece, stop by and say hi. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we'll post pictures of Poseidon's workshop, the site at Delphi, and all kinds of good stuff. Music for this episode included the Cyclos Epitaph, arranged by Sam Henderson, which you can download on our website, whatshernamepodcast.com. You can also find links to the ancient lyre music we featured here, recorded by lyre specialist Michael Levy. You can find his many ancient Greek lyre albums on music servers everywhere, or on his website, ancientlyre.com. We are so grateful for the support of all of our sponsors. Special shout out to Debbie Farthing, Jesse Bray Sharpen, Andrea Ferguson, and Chantelle Oliver. You can become a sponsor for as little as a buck a month, and participating at different levels gets you lots of different prizes. This episode was edited with assistance from Daniel Foster Smith and Mark Nelson. And What's Her Name podcast is produced by Katie Nelson and Olivia Mickle. Thank you for listening. This episode is sponsored by The Process, a creative docu-series. Filmmaker Daniel Foster Smith interviews artists, makers, and other creatives to understand how they move through the artistic process and overcome creative blocks. Go to danielfostersmith.com and start streaming episodes today.